Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Skyping's So we're just going to jump right into this because first of all, me and Fred been here for already 30 minutes talking before we even catching up, (laughs) catching up before we start. But typically on my podcast, we have like segments and whatever, but it's you. So we just going, we just going to rap. All right. (laughs) So we have Fat My Freddy in the house here today on Small Doses. And I used to live in Harlem down the block. Yeah. For me. And so he (laughs) he just asked me, how's your mom's? I remember you had told me one time a story. And so tell me the story that you recall. So one time we were coming from the laundry or something. We just bumped into each other. So we was walking back to our block, you know, talking and everything. And you just, however we got on the subject, you were talking about your mom. You were telling me the story about (laughs) how you had a really incredible beginning, your origin story, if you will. It's something, had something to do with your mother's water breaking. But (laughs) mother's water broke and she mopped it up. Oh my God. And then went to the hospital. Yeah, I know it was something, it was some incredible component. I, I definitely, we were walking, I did I did a double take. Like, I was like, wait, 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 what? Your mother's a bad. And then I met her one time before you left us and went on to, to Hollywood or whatever it is. Um, you was in the hood and you was like, oh, Fab, hey, I want you to meet my mom. I remember briefly meeting her. I'm and I'm like, oh, you met, I met Fab Five Freddy, you know, I met Fab Five oh, Freddy. <laughs> so, know. what island? Grenada. Grenada, okay. Grenada. Large up all nice, Grenada masses. Nice, nice, nice. No, you know, when, when, um, when they reached out to me about interviewing you about Grass is Greener. Yes. I was like, you know what? I've made it. Oh, God. Stop it. <laughs> you know, Legit. I was like, you know I, with you. I, I have made it. Because I was like, it's one thing. If I had asked you, you would have done it. Like, I really know that. Without question. But the fact that they had reached out, like, this is where he should be. Oh, my God. I yes. was like, I'm out here, niggas. I'm out here. Yes. Surefire Media. And my rep from Surefire is here. And he's a fan. Hey, Robbie Jerome. Jerome is in the building. <laughs> Jerome. What's up, Jerome? <laughs> he be showing up. He was like, oh, God. I'm a fan of the show. I'm like, okay. And my daughter Sparkle is a big fan of yours as hey, well. Hey, Sparkle! Yeah, she, I always say that she, I'm sparkly beige. Yes. She just <laughs> she just graduated from USC and she's also my kid, um, yeah, just this May. And this modeling thing just organically developed for her. And she did a shoot for this one, a shoot for that one. And then some yes. stylist she met asked her to be in this first female campaign of Brand Jordan. And she was the pretty dark skinned girl featured in that. And now, All right. and then behind that, she got signed to Wilhelmina. And she's. Listen to the proud dad. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Definitely proud. He ran it down quick. Yeah, proud yeah, dad. yeah, yeah. And she did it all on her own. I didn't have nothing to do with none of this. So, super dope. My little baby Sparkle is out there. I mean, her name in. is apt. You know, yeah, she's sparkling. To. Nobody could even hide from the shine. Yes. It was destined. Yeah, beautiful, smart, and she's, uh, yeah, doing her thing. I mean, I feel like you've been, you are a testament that there is no time limit to doing your thing. Oh, that's an that's an apt uh, description. I'll take that. Yeah. Well, because right. think, you I know, continue. you came up in hip hop. Yes. And I feel like people definitely say hip hop is a young man's game, right? Specifically, young man's game. Like, and I feel like we have gotten to see with people like you, people like Two Chains, people like Dre. That like right. that's not factual. Yeah. That's true. It's a skill to growing up in predominantly popular music. If you look at the music aspect of hip hop, sure, it's a young it's a young guy's game, a young man, a young woman's game. But I've always put a lot of um, emphasis on just being smart and figuring things out, looking ahead and like plotting a course, knowing like, okay, so like, what are you going to do when you hit a certain plateau, a certain point? Like, where do you want to be? So. Although I ended up doing a lot of things in front of the camera, my original inclinations were behind the camera. You know, I never planned to be an on-camera person, but that kind of organically Really? Ha- yeah. I was always one to be the puppet 
puppeteer, like the which began with Wild Style many, many, many moons ago, the first film on hip hop, um, to be a producer, to co-direct, to somehow be in that. The idea of that film was mine. I met a filmmaker, Charlie Ahern, yeah. that did some underground independent movies, super ultra low budget, and we combined forces. And then the 11th hour, he asked me to be a character in the film because we'd cast everybody except the character that I would yep. play. To, and so that began that. And then when UMTV Raps happened, and I was like, wow, me on UMTV Raps? And I thought about it. When I decided I'd do it, I decided I would kind of somewhat be in the persona of my wild style character yep. for UMTV Raps. That, and that began my on-camera endeavors. But primarily, my, my, the, my real things that I'd like to feel are my primary creative accomplishments are behind the scenes as a director and a producer. You know, I directed over 60, 70 videos through late 80s into the 90s. And a lot of people just don't know. I was going to say, people do not know that. No, they don't. So the first music video I did was My Philosophy for KRS-One in 1988. Fresh for 88 suckers yes. as it ends the video. And then I was on a run from there. I did like the first videos for Queen Latifah, Stetsasonic. I mean, first videos for Nas. I did One Love for Nas. Shut up! Yeah, Snoop's first video. That turned Snoop into a dog just to get a rep for, for Gangstar. Yeah. Why did I know this? I'm a hip hop historian. That's okay. It's okay. I like that I got things in the cut that when you pull the layers of the onion back, you'd be like, what? He did this, he did that. Yes, I did. And so, you know, those are the things that I really feel like, wow, you know. And it was fun to be hosting UMTV Raps. I couldn't put my own self on blast for directing. Yes, being in that position did in the, and allow me to get at certain artists. But when they realized the videos I had made, Cats wanted to work with me. And so, you know, it was a slight conflict of interest in that I couldn't <laughs> say, hey, in this next video directed by me, <laughs> but why couldn't you? Because I just didn't want it to be about me. I wanted it to be about right, the, artist. the artists. And in that time frame of working on MTV, they began to give the directors credit in the lower left, yes. if you remember. Yep. So you'd see Hype Williams or you know different people that were behind the scenes directing videos, Little X, and certain names began to pop up. But yeah. I was... mean, I just feel like, that speaks exactly to then how we got to grass is greener. Like, cause I think that exactly. there's people who are like, well, where did this come from? Yes. But for you, you're like, it's all, this has always been what I've been on. Exactly. Like y'all, y'all niggas is late. Yes. They're <laughs> definitely, it's definitely a little late. Or like I said, those that are really, really curious and really pull the layers back, which are all on the internet, you know, you mm -hmm. can hit me and peel, the, go there and, and see your people realize that I did have some things involved behind the filmmaking scene and the grass is green idea was also like a reflection of who I am and where I come from. I kind of touch on the fact that in the film, I grew up in a household. My yeah. dad was a cannabis user, highly intelligent. And um, all of his friends would gathered at the house. They were big jazz lovers. You know, Max Roach was my godfather, you know, jazz drummer. Yep. And um, I knew that jazz musicians and I'd found this music early on uh, that show that jazz musicians had made were the early advocates because they made records about the plant. Louis Armstrong, um, Fats Walla, there's dozens. You can go on YouTube right now and just look up jazz reefer songs and they'll all pop up. Cab Calloway, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, these guys Wait smoke the plant. And then I realized, wait a minute. And then all the way to hip hop guys are making songs about the plant. So it just- Whole albums. Yes. The Chronic. <laughs> yeah, the, the Chronic, which we tell the Snoop tells the story in my film about how Dre's not really a a a big smoker. I spent a lot of time living with Dre actually during the time where he was finishing Snoop's first album. And the first day of shooting the Snoop's first video turned into a near riot after we got the performance of him on that VIP record store, which is the iconic yes. place in, in, uh, in Long right. Beach. And then all the gangbangers came out. So we went to the next location, <laughs> a lot of beefs erupted and there were multiple fights and this was not more than six months or so after the LA riots so the police helicopter swooped oh, in gee. and shut it down Dre said if you can chill out here with me fab I gotta finish the album but we will get the video done which we did and um yeah in the course of that process uh Dre and I got 
to be good friends. And I got an inside look at a lot of that world and uh, turned Snoop into a dog. <laughs> What's my name? Yes. I mean... So I'm sorry. So the, old, the, the the whole reason for going into that is Snoop tells the story of telling Dre, you're going to call your album The Chronic because The Chronic is the hot word for the good cannabis on the street. Your album is going to be the best thing on the street. And that gave us The Chronic. It makes sense. <laughs> yes. Light it up. So... I know that you've asked or answered this question a bajillion times, so I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna try to ask it in a unique way. Okay. So, how did the process of this film get sparked? Pun intended. Yeah. No, it's okay. A lot of lot of good puns with that. <laughs> to be, well, I was having a conversation with a good friend in L.A. cat by the name of Ron, who had been in the underground cannabis game for a while. He was a black kid that grew up in L.A. Uh, hustling, hustling cannabis up back and forth up to Northern Cali where the fields were in Humboldt County and everything. But he had gotten caught up, you know, in the, in the, in the legal system. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of the places, unfortunately, if you've been convicted of a cannabis or, you know, something, they won't let you do it legally. Yeah. (laughs) Which is crazy because these are the guys that pioneered this. They know that. That's exactly why. Exactly. Okay. So he very clever was like, you know, Fab, I figured out what I'm going to do. I'm going to start a consultancy company and I'm going to call it 40 acres and a greenhouse. That right there sparked a very interesting conversation because basically, for those that don't know, 40 Acres and a Mule were what he was alluding to, which was promised to black folks after Reconstruction, after the uh, slaves so were so-called freed. And uh, it was given out for a hot minute when I researched it. And then the following president that followed Abraham Lincoln was, was yeah, he cut it. He stopped it. So basically, my man was like, I'm going to get mine this time around, and I'm going to consult and advise people on what to do, how to do it, et cetera, et cetera. And in that conversation, realizing the involvement of black folks with the plant, specifically uh, black and brown folks, but the jazz music and how we would... you know, leading advocates. It all just came to me like I can do a film about the plant, show the musical history, which will make it a little more palatable, take it from jazz to hip hop. I could have ex- had, I've, I pitched it as a multi-part. Had I gotten about yeah. four parts, I would have expanded it into R&B, uh, Rick James song, mm, Mary Jane was a cannabis song, D'Angelo's Brown Sugar, a lot of people don't know, is a cannabis song in a sense. Um, so I would have expanded the different types of music to various peoples, but essentially Netflix, which was very into it, uh, gave me the opportunity to make a feature. So I told that story and it's been amazing. I just got the word that over 15 million people have viewed the film um, around the world. Netflix is ecstatic yeah. and, and, it, and it continues uh, to be a tool that informs people about, um, even people that have been on the front line, cannabis activism, pushing this for many years, didn't really understand or didn't know some of the little jewels that I dropped in this film. Well, I think that there's also just kind of like a disconnect between like there's potheads and then there's just like people who don't smoke weed. And then right. you come to understand though that like even if you don't smoke weed, the criminalization of marijuana affects you regardless, yeah. you know? And so I know for me, like, I've never been a weed smoker like that. I've mm-hmm. smoked, I think, eight times. Wow. The last time is the last time because, y'all, yeah. like, what I can't, happened? it was bad. So <laughs> it was bad. I was just like- You I, smoked, <laughs> you, had a, you had a hit of that chronic? <laughs> I, I, that shit wasn't even crying. It was like Jupiter weed. I don't know what, and I and I only took a, a toke, a oh, puff. Oh, wow. I need to get that strain. You need you, to tell me. I will connect you with the person. And I was you. just like- I need that. I was trying to just connect with a brother who was going through a situation. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? We're going to peace pipe it, you know? Yeah, I played myself. Like, literally the only good thing that came out of it is it's a great story that I tell on stage at this point. Like, it's... And he just, like, cracks up every time because he ended up having to, like, take care of me because I was gone. And I was going between two modes of, like, I'd either be like, Amanda, just go with it. Give in, give in, give in. And then I would switch and be like, your name is Amanda. It is the year 2019. You were at the Lowe's Hotel in Atlanta. 
this is your reality. This is your reality. Get grounded <laughs> in your reality. <laughs> the real reefer madness. Like, it was. And I, I was it. like, you know what? This just isn't for you. Like, and you know, I I feel like I feel like different people use weed for different reasons. True, yes. And I think that not everything is for everybody. You right. know, like for instance, like I used to drink. I just don't drink anymore. Like, and same I don't, here. I just don't, and I don't miss it. Like, yeah, it's not even here. like I'm over here, like, damn, like trying to fight to not, not drink. It's just, it stopped serving a purpose for wow. me. Yes, yes. And so, you know, and my ex is like, you know, just cause you're high on life. And I'm like, whatever. Yeah. But I just, for me, like once something, once I realized like, you know, this isn't taking me to the place that, cause yeah. some people like in your film, they're like, yo. Weed opens up a creative space for me. It opens up my mind. You know, some people are like, it makes them calm. It eases their anxieties, et cetera. Right, right. It makes me paranoid and concerned. concerned. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, it's just not for me. But I think that in the efforts, for me, like, as as Amanda and, and with this podcast, et cetera, like, I was trying to just open people's eyes to, and perspectives to different spaces that may not even feel like natural to them like that may not even feel like interesting interesting to them like we did an episode on side effects of being a cancer but even if you're not a cancer you live in a world where there are people who are cancers so like maybe that's valid to you so like even on this it's like i want people to understand though that how how things trickle down even if they're not immediately interesting to you so like some people will say like well i don't smoke weed i don't know why it has to be legalized i like that's none of my business like whatever but when we are continuously criminalizing something that is not criminal, yes, it con- it has adverse effects across a number of planes. Thank so you. even on a basic like tax dollar situation, yes. like your taxes are paying to incarcerate nonviolent criminals mm. on a regular basis mm-hmm. that are also, by the way, being put in a system that makes them violent. Yes. So th- before they got into being, they may have just been smoking weed or maybe selling weed on a small scale. But now by the time they get out, they got PTSD. Yes. They also may have gotten into some other shit where it's like, well, I was smoking weed before, but now I'm going to come out here pushing hair on. Like, (laughs) you know? And then there's also just the reality of like, you're continuing to um, affect people's lives in such an overreaching negative way about something that simply just doesn't have to be about that. And this country criminalizes things not because of the good of the people. Yes. A lot of times it's not because of the good of the people. The criminalization of weed is not about El Chapo. Like yes. it's not, you know what I mean? Like it's not about protecting us from El Chapo. It's not about, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, because this is what I got from like watching your documentary. I even started rewatching it this morning just wow. to refresh. Yes. But I've also like attended some talks about just the criminalization of weed and how it affects our communities, et cetera, especially black and brown communities. Yes. But I just think that when it comes to America, uh, the rush to criminalize anything that is being utilized by black and brown bodies is always never about making good for people and always about oppression and uh, limiting access. And those actually are the 155%. Those are all the facts that you just brilliantly and eloquently stated. And the film lays that out. I didn't. I wasn't even aware of how specifically the um, cannabis and all other drugs put on this schedule was particularly for political yes. and racial reasons. These are one hundred percent facts, and it was shocking to me to realize how emphatic this was was in in its execution, if you will. Um, and then a, a big part of the problem, particularly of the idea of smoking cannabis, is the heavy um, stigmatization that has been thrust upon it. For decades, we've been told that this is a gateway drug. You smoke a joint, you'll be shooting heroin. You know, this is your brain on drugs. You know what I'm saying? This was a thing that was beat over our heads for decades now. And a lot of people... Um, are still stigmatized by particularly black and brown people who may have never had a uh, um, an urge to want to smoke, but because when people tell them that there are real be- medical benefits, things that can help you, you know, sp- speaking of PTSD, which you mentioned, um, soldiers that were in the Iraq war that have that level of PTSD that have seen mm-hmm. friends' heads yeah. blown off and arms severed and, you know, IED yep. explosions and stuff have serious, that type of PTSD. The medicine that they're prescribed are, 
are opioids. And there have been tests done. How? I don't know. But there have been tests done. Because you saw my face. I'm like, exactly. opioids. Yeah. No, nah, you made a, a like a shocking face, which is the facts. Google it. It's all there. But there have been those that have used cannabis and have reported better relief. Of and, of, and of course, without the side effects, the side effects and the addiction, which made me realize like black folks coming up in this country decades ago, couldn't walk into the local hospital and get treated. They might not have existed. <laughs> Notice or, that he said decades, not centuries. Yeah. Decades. Decades ago, particularly in the South, like healthcare was not something afforded to us then as it is now with the exception of maybe a local like physician, do- yeah. physician or that person that knew what herbs and elixirs to put mm-hmm. together that might help you. The witch doctor. The witch doctor, if you will. <laughs> but when you think of black folks using, and black and brown folks using the plant in Jim Crow South and the relaxation and the calming and mm. all those things that happen when you have a nice buzz and then the PTSD kind of uh, treatment, if you will, was built in that folks probably felt a little better about walking past a white guy that might want you to step off yep. the street for yep. them or to do some yes or no sir business when you would be able to manage that perhaps a little bit better. Just think of being confronted with these realities as well, a- you're living in a terrorist. I mean, yes, Jim Crow is just American ISIS. <clears throat> Thank you. That's all. It's, I mean, that's what that's Jim Crow is. A, that's an app description when you see how heinous the specifics of that really were. And knowing that that plant would make you feel a little better getting through that and all the other hardships that were thrust upon us makes sense to me that there was medicinal benefits that we were getting without completely being aware. And for the musicians who popularized it, coming out of New Orleans, people like Louis Armstrong and all the great jazz guys... Um, the intoxicant of choice was cannabis because they could, you know, loosen up, open up, and and be able to still manage their instruments without the effects of being drunk and trying to yes. move up and down the keys on a piano or the and your, or the, your finger dexterity is yes no longer con, con, not there as it should be. <laughs> so it makes sense to me thinking about what was this really like in the 20s and 30s and 40s for these people that were under this pressure, that were migrating up, immigrating up, rushing up, escaping to the North to have a sense of freedom and to play this music. And so that motivated the racists like Harry Anslinger, first drug czar in America, and saw that the music was bringing people together of different ethnicities. And their main fear was like black men could sleep with white women who were getting high on the plant. That was the underlying reason for a lot of these drugs um, being criminalized. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I have to just laugh because I have a joke that I've been working on for a while about police brutality and how like whenever you hear cops say that like they were afraid that the black man was pulling out a big black gun and that's why they shot them. I'm always like, well, that's, a crock of shit because one, we know that brothers don't be knowing how to aim guns. So let's start there. Okay. (laughs) Like niggas in the hood are not good with the shot. This is a fact. That's how we end up with all these bystanders and and, hit with straight bullets. Yes. Like that's a fact. I've done research on this, by the way, this is not me just trying to be funny. I have asked hood niggas, like, are y'all at the shooting range? And they're like, no, (laughs) we're out here playing cops and robbers with people's lives. And that's the problem. So, but so when I hear that, I'm just like that. This 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 thought process is false. And so the joke, quote unquote, the joke that I've been working on is that they're not fa- they're not afraid of black men pulling out big black guns. They're afraid of black men pulling out big, big black, black dicks. dicks. And that's really what is at the bottom a line of a lot of these cops just shooting up and killing brothers off of wow. nothing that is really a generic, not a real causation. Yeah. And <clears throat> but it's like when so when you come with that as like. That was at a core of trying to criminalize yeah. marijuana. I'm facts. like, really? Yeah, totally. Totally. The fear. Facts. Yeah. Some weird, deep, ugly, racist fear that goes deep, if but, you will. But can I just take this moment to dovetail and say, brothers, brothers, if you only knew how powerful you were, that people are literally creating laws yes. just to try to sequester you 
from infiltrating, quote unquote, infiltrating their women, then I wish, I, I feel like if brothers really only truly, truly understood their own power, then they wow. would protect it so much more. That's and so like, true. there's so often times that I see like examples like you're giving where I'm like, this is just writing on the wall. Like no one would try to stop you if you weren't worth stopping. Wow. Like that's, that's just. <laughs> very beautiful, simple logic. That's there it is. That's it. Like in its individual, <clears throat> like when people say like, you know, if you are being hated on, then mm. you ain't doing it right. It's right. like, that's where that comes from. It's like, if you weren't worth trying to prevent from getting where you were, then yeah. people would not try. That's like true. it's so often that we see that the greatest stars are who people try to dull, that's you know? It. So in this country, I mean, from day one, it has been the black man's labor. Mm-hmm. That it was built on the back of, yeah. you know, and even, and black women, you know, don't get me wrong. I know that we are, a, we are a force and we are necessary Absolutely. and we are birthing this labor force at, at one point in yes. this country. Yes. But at the end of the day, it still ends up being like, you know, we got to get out the head. We got to take the head of the household out from the bottom. And we are going to continue to do that through even things like marijuana laws. And, yeah. and even in New York, like the, like, I, I remember the exaltation Mm. Of like weed is legal now in mm. New York. I'm like, no, 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 right. no, no, no. Because the laws are written so convoluted also mm. that like it's very that not only do the individuals smoking a lot of times not really know the law, yeah, but the police who are supposed to be upholding the law can't even understand the law. A lot also a lot of these police are literally like barely high school graduates. So like law is not an easy thing to just grasp. You know what I mean? Like, that's why, like, you go to law school. But the police who are actually supposed to be enforcing the law don't actually know the law. And it was interesting for me because one of the people that featured in my film that I become good, uh, close with, always bring her out whenever I'm asked to, 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 to speak because she shines the, the bright light in all the right areas, sister by the name of Cassandra Frederick, who's the New York State Director of Drug Policy Alliance. She's strong voice in the film, banging home key mm-hmm. points. And from her, I learned, and she says it in the film, that cannabis has been decriminalized in New York since the 70s. But it's on it's at the discretion of the police to, well, I think this has changed recently, but for many years since the, the 70s, it was to their discretion to, if you're smoking a joint or whatever it may be, or have possession of nonviolence, they could either give you the equivalent of a summons or to put you through the system. Right. Oftentimes, you're a person of color, you get put through the system. The numbers s- support that. More than 80% of those arrested in, in New York uh, have been black and brown when white kids are smoking just as much cannabis as a young black kid, which connects to the stop and frisk laws that we had in New York for quite a while. And so... It's interesting to see the realities of how the criminal justice system has disproportionately focused on young black and brown, criminalized, jammed them up in the system. This is throughout the country, even in Colorado, which was the first oh, yeah. state to actually legalize, which doesn't have a great, a great population no. of people of color. Guess who gets arrested the most for cannabis? So. It's niggas on skis. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. There we go. (laughs) Amanda breaks it down. (laughs) The truth in her comedy is the real deal. (laughs) So I got into it with a homeboy of mine one time because he kept getting pulled over and criminalized for having weed. In his car, mm. right? And I was like, how many times are you going to allow this to happen? Because every time this happens, you're out of commission for like two weeks. Mm-hmm. So that means you're not making money. That means that you can't see your kids. Like it just, it creates like a whole like, you know, uh, domino effect. And his response was, they ain't going to tell me where and where I can smoke my weed. Mm. And I'm like, okay, like I hear you in logic. Right. Like I like I hear you, like I hear you. But they are currently telling you where and when you can smoke your weed. Mm. So where does the line get drawn on like being an activist against that and also setting yourself up for continuously being put in a system that still has not made these changes? 
Wow. Well, you know, I guess, I guess it's like, is he a part of the, is he a part of the weed revolution by like offering himself up? Like I must, I must just keep smoking my shit. Fuck that. Or is it like, but you're being silly because he is, he's just, I think that's a, uh, a bravura moment in front of an attractive woman meeting you. But the, the reality is, like, I grew up in a household where cannabis, my dad and his friends smoked cannabis. When I was a young teenager and I was tiptoeing into that lane, my dad pulled me aside and said, listen, you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. You want to do it. It's best to do it in the house. But he stressed being careful. I had a really kind of liberal, cool household, my dad, et cetera, et cetera, they were aware. But, you know, it's a fear that it could be, you know, more intense um, for families that are just like scared of what can happen. And so the culture of cannabis that I grew up in was like in school, you'd go under the bleachers outside or, you know, that whole sneaky Sneaky, factor was a part of the fun, if you will. And, and, but a reality nonetheless, yet when I would go to concerts and stuff back in the days where Cigarettes were smoked, hence cannabis was smoked as well, quite openly and quite freely. And then there was a there was a sharing culture of people in concerts passing yeah, joints passing to other that. people, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that stopped because their price or weed got so expensive with, <laughs> with all the high-grade cannabis. But there was a culture among cannabis heads that was very warm, open, and inviting. It's like Snoop has a bit in my movie where he talks about um, putting some weed in a room with some people and in a minute they'll be taking selfies with each other and having a great time, put a glass of alcohol in that same room, <laughs> people will end up dead, you know? So Right. Put, put some brown in there. It's gone. <laughs> yes. It's essentially, <laughs> which is a real funny moment, but it's actually like a reflection of the fact that cannabis is a kind of bring people together in that peace pipe way. Mm-hmm. And considering the peace pipe is a, allusion to the Native Americans and how the hemp plant, which is a cousin of the cannabis plant that we smoked, was what the Indians made their clothes out of, made their teepees out of. It's an incredible beneficial plant that does all these kind of really like great things can be made from it. So when you look at all the beneficial elements that come from plant, the psychoactive, the medical, the actual like just things that can be made with cannabis fiber, with hemp fibers, I should say. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. So I hope we can- CBD sh- oil. CBDs like- now, people going mm-hmm. crazy over CBD. And there's a lot of other components in the cannabis plant that have not yet been fully isolated and studied. The, this CBD thing is relatively new um, that people are literally getting benefit from across a, like a broad area. So, yeah. you know, once, the, the, so aside from- all of this, which is important, one of the main things that needs to happen is, and you'll see this clearly laid out in my film, Grass is Greener, on Netflix. Ooh, how, you've been doing press. Yeah. He's been doing press, no, y'all. You're right. You're right. He hit you with the callback. My film, you know. Grass is Greener, currently available <laughs> on Netflix. Right now. <laughs> right now. No, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's just so much that I've, you know, listen, I've learned way more than I knew. And a lot of cannabis activists across the country have reached out to me. And it's been an amazing time and very topical, if you will, because taking the plant off of the schedule, this is the thing that mm-hmm. Nixon, Richard Nixon concocted to pretty much... Um, be able to criminalize certain peoples based on these substances. This was the reason. And the whole DEA was created at the same time by him. And once again, you know, cannabis is in the schedule is the different levels of how serious these so-called um, drugs are. Yeah. But they have cannabis in the same categorization as heroin. And that is the craziness. Of- Mind you, alcohol is f- is Break it down, far tell. more yes. problematic and dangerous mm-hmm. uh, and more like heroin because it actually affects your frontal lobe. It actually mm. changes the uh, physio- the physiology of your brain. Whoa. So if you look at somebody who has 
suffered for alcoholism and you look at their brain map, like you'll see like black spots in their frontal lobe. And we know that your frontal lobe is your decision-making sector. Wow. So that's why like people say like, oh, like alcohol gives you liquid courage. No, it don't. <laughs> it just makes you make less decisions Yo. based on rationale and practicality, you yeah. know? And so like, that's why when we do Smart, Funny and Black, I have it as a dry show now because I've had enough instances where people think like, I'm going to be on stage. She's going to be asking me like trivia questions. I'm going to be in front of people like, I don't want to look stupid. And so they think if I drink liquor, I won't look stupid. No, no, no. You will look stupid. You just won't know. Wow. And the reality is, is that, yes, alcohol gives you liquid courage, but it don't give you liquid knowledge. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, there's that. Whereas I think people will argue that, like, when you blaze, you find the mysteries of the, you solve the <laughs> mysteries of the universe. You know, you like, hey, man, it's like the sun ain't out at night. <laughs> you so <stupid. laughs> So I just, the schedule, you just, I think one of the things that I am also interested in learning more about is just like the difference in THC quantity in plants and like how much certain weed is like tampered with by man versus like the actual natural green. Because, you know, I'm West Indian and so... You know, Caribbean people, you know, they green the grass by the waterfall and the rasta day and they, you know, blaze up, blaze up. And then they're jumping off the waterfall and it's, it's a good green, it's natural green. It's just it. good green, natural, natural green day. I love, you know? your, but, I love your accent. It's so dope. <laughs> but how much of, because I see certain weed now, like I said, like I feel like I smoked some shit from Jupiter. Right. And I'm like, no, how s- much is that tampered with? So what happens now is, and this is the unfortunate thing, particularly- And can I just add this? Yes. One thing I will say is that as much as I say like, okay, weed and alcohol are not the same thing. Right. I could not have operated a vehicle if on what I had smoked. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, you, you had a- um, So basically now with the cannabis people being able to f- produce and really take their time- to develop strains of, of cannabis and really work in a diligent way to perfect um, different strains to 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 create different feelings and um, and and also different cosmetics and different aromas and flavors and all of these things similar to what happens with roses people that grow roses yeah. or that raise grapes for wine there's a whole yes. lot of subtleties and flavors Hues. and things that go in so what happens is now when you have a, a situation with let's say a more open form of medical there's medical in New York but not for the plant itself and you have to be pretty badly um, ill, uh, okay. pretty, pretty messed Infirmed. up, yes, to be able to get access. Unlike California, which had a more open form of medical, now they have recreational slash legal. You can show cannabis. up. Right. But what you have in the places where you go, you can talk to the bud tender at <laughs> the dispensary and say, I don't want something as strong as what Amanda smoked, and she jokes about it on stage. I'm scared of that. Yeah. But I want something that's like having a nice glass of wine after work that'll have me feeling up and creative, or but not, you know, overwhelmed. Right. And they could recommend milder strains that could tell you this one will make you rest. This is a more indica heavy. I did smoke once and took a, a nap that tasted like steak. Like to oh. this day. I can remember this nap <laughs> as if it had like actual taste. Like it was a delicious oh. nap. There like I'm go. thinking about it right now. So that's what <laughs> happens when you now open up the availability of the plant and you have good people working to grow to create a full spectrum of various strains of cannabis. For Some, the full spectrum a lot of people. people now have mentioned that they've smoked something. They call it like Franken's weed, Frankenstein, yes. because yeah, guys Alaska are, Thunderfuck. Yes. But when I get that kind of weed, I'm just taking a couple of pulls and I'm clipping it because I realize right away, like, wow, I don't need too much of right. this. So I can manage that as opposed to, I like to compare the way I use cannabis and the way many people use cannabis to how we drink wine. We don't drink fine wines to be shit-faced, smashed, mm. falling out on the floor. We want a mild buzz, but we also appreciate those flavors and those other things that are happening with our palate. A lot of 
cannabis connoisseurs or canosaurs, which are <laughs> developing now, want it like that and have it like that when it's accessible. You can have an array of various strains, like one will have various types of liquor and wines and rums and vodkas and things right. in the house. And you don't, you know, always you don't want get it. blasted. You don't always need it's for to taste. Be. Yes, it's for taste. It's for a mild buzz. It's for an enhancement of your state of being, and that's what you have access to um, when you have it available at that way. When you walk into a dispensary and places that have it going on like that, this is what you can get. You say, oh, I don't want that strong mule kicking head, right. kick me in the head weed. I want a nice mild thing that we could smoke and have a nice conversation. Because people will recommend those things to you. You could, any strain that you get, you can Google now and there's like Wikipedia pages for various weeds that'll give you the high that you get and the medical benefits that you can get. You could see it. I, I, this is a, amazing. They have weed apps that do the same thing. They have weed apps. There's things like Leafly and this. So there's a whole array of things when it's opened up and made available to you in your state. And that is something that is- I'm just saying the mic. He was saying it's very omnidirectional. So I was just pointing uh, towards the yes, mic. Yes, you pointing at the mic. Yes. And so that's the situation that those of you who are listening in states that have a dispensary, you can walk in. This is what you can do, even if you've been completely freaked out about smoking anything. Edibles. And this is... The, oh, the, edib we can't even talk about edibles. Well, the thing I, about edibles... Oh, my God. No, nah, the thing about edibles, which is some of the biggest problematic stories that you've heard, <laughs> are people not reading the instructions and thinking it's going to kick in in five minutes, and then they eat two, three, four more edibles, whether it's cookies or candies or whatever, and when it kicks in, their heads are spinning around on their shoulders like the exorcist, and those are, that's problematic because, once again, you go back and you didn't read, right. one cookie, one, one cannabis nibble. gummy yeah. will be enough, but I you ate five. So. <laughs> I almost tumbled down a road. Because I did a show, and at the show, I get gifts at shows. You know, people will come and give you gifts. Yeah. And she, this someone gave me, like, baked goods. I have a sweet tooth. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I have a sweet tooth. So I actually had, like, kept them under wraps. I was like, you know what? I know I'm going to want these later. And so I was in my apartment. I was like, oh, those cookies and muffins. From the bay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that. And I opened it and I and something because I have angels. Something was like, don't do it, bitch. And I said, I oh, wonder, hmm. And then I looked at the front and it was like very small, by the way. And it, and on the bottom right, it said like uh, you know, THC content. And I was like, ah! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Because what was about to happen is I was about to murder that whole... Y'all, I wouldn't be here. It, I wouldn't be I would have been committed. Like, it would have been over. It would have been over. I was coming back from L.A. once, and a buddy had went to a dispensary. This is about six, seven years ago. And he'd gotten me some caramel-coated Cracker Jack-type popcorn, which, was, of course, was THC. I was on the plane. I'd forgotten it was THC-coated. Pop this out. I, you know how that, those right. things yeah, are. You eat one, you eat two. Next thing you know, I knocked that whole bag out. And um, the next thing I know, I was being waken, woken up on the plane. Everybody was gone um, with plane landed in New York. And when they finally got me up, I looked around. Everybody was gone. They were trying to clean the plane to get it ready for the next flight. <laughs> And then it hit me while I was out like that. I was like... At least it put you out. I ate an edible one time and ended up... I, I woke up out of my sleep and my brain was like... And I was like... Again, like weed takes me to like another... I think I already live in another dimension. Yeah. And so the weed be fucking with my concept of reality. So you know what? Not that you obviously had it's a couple of bad experiences, but what I'm hearing a lot of people, and I've tried this, there's this concept of microdosing, which is just a very small amount of whatever it is. And Bab, you I had a morsel. Oh okay. God. Yeah, you got it. It's just not for me. You got one of those sensitive up, systems. Yeah. I do, I'm a sensitive person. I'm a cancer to the fullest. Um. And I really like, I ended up sleeping in the bathtub. 
uh, at that night because I heard myself say, if you don't get it together, you're going to run outside this room and you're going to run down the hall screaming and you're going to get arrested. So you need to figure it the fuck out. (laughs) And I... It literally, like, I, like, came to myself, like, Tupac in a hologram, you know, or, or like, the, the big angel in Angels in America over the bed of the guy who was dying. And I just came to myself, and I just was like, you know what? You're right, Amanda. I do need to go and handle this. And my, my solution was to sleep in the bathtub. And I, like, literally closed, <laughs> I, like, closed the shower curtain. Like, like that was going to be my jail cell. Like, uh, clink. And I woke up the next morning and was like, so we don't do edibles anymore. Here we go. The only other time I did an edible was with someone I was seeing. And I will say this. I have never laughed this hard. Like, I laughed so hard at one point that I remember in my head saying, I hope he's not as as toasty as me because I might go into cardiac arrest off this laugh and I'm going to need him to call 911. And we had watched, first we watched The Pale Blue Dot, which is Carl Sagan talks about how, you know, yeah. we're just a pale blue dot. You watch that shit on something and you're like, yeah, what are we even doing here? That's a real PBS moment. Like, I love that. Carl Sagan. Wow. And then we watched a video of this man in Australia being arrested. And it's like this big white man being stuffed in a car. And he's like, ah, you know your Kung. You know your judo well. And he's like, are you trying to touch my penis? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Watching that. On an edible, like y'all, I I literally almost had a pulmonary embolism. Like I was laughing so hard, and then some other trippy shit happened. Where like the dude's face that I was with, like it started morphing, and uh-huh. it was like I saw, it was like I saw like a a demon. In my head. Ooh, wow. Like it was trippy. Like to the point where like when we woke up the next morning, I wasn't sure who I was gonna roll over to see. And I like to think that, you know, because I am very in touch with my spirituality. Mm-hmm. I'm very in touch with myself and the mm-hmm. universe. And mm-hmm. I am very in touch with my angels and my omens. Mm-hmm. I ignore them mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But they be like, Amanda, go that way. And I really feel like they were showing me, like, this person is not who you think they are. Wow. And they turned out to be a full-ass demon. A full-ass narcissist, like, in a very real way. I'm not even going to put the nigga on blast. You know, because there is a narcissist I put on blast on a regular basis. Tajay from Souls of Mistress of his trash-ass nigga. But this person was <laughs> wow. was not. and was I will not put them on blast. But it was like the weed had revealed. Yes. And I, I didn't even ignore it. Like, I let that show me, like... You saw something with that with that edible. You saw yeah. something yeah. with that edible. It so opened your inner eye. You it really did. It opened yeah. a third eye that mm-hmm. I like was kind of masking. Yeah, you go. One thing that I would love to see masked, mm-hmm. though, like that I would actually like to like have actually masked, mm-hmm. is all of this. Um, bullshit uh, journalism and it's in quotes around like white women in the cannabis industry and how like it's being presented as like very fashionable and like so like stylish. Yeah. And it's just like, oh my God, like, like actually H and actually C started their own cannabis dispensary and now they do yoga. Right. So what's happening is as big business, if so to speak, gears up to market cannabis now to new people or the new users, there's all this kind of playing around with various ways of doing that and marketing it in other ways, as opposed to to classic stoners with the names of strains and the marijuana leaf yeah. and a lot of iconography that goes back. Like Grateful Dead, Hidden Grateful Bears. Dead, the whole thing like that, which is kind of where a lot of the culture really went to another level. So you see now there's attempts now to kind of market it in another way without, with as opposed to saying- Like making to, it sexy. Kind of making it sexy, but if you're directly marketing it, marketing it to women, I've seen brands try to describe the various types of 
of cannabis as like different feelings that one will get, like creative or, you know. Amorous. Amorous or (laughs) expansive or various kind of a whole nother lexicon of words and terminology and packaging that somewhat looks like products that women would more readily pick up than the man in the family. But, But on the same time, I saw I saw a program that Barney's in L.A. has this, and it's coming to Barney's in New York. There's a shop that will have upscale kind of cannabis accessories, and you know, right? Uh, you know, like iced out bongs. Well, iced like out that. or things that look like um, mahogany. Uh, boxes or um, humidor type boxes that a guy would put a Tiffany fine pipes cigars shit. in and all of those kind of things are are coming for the more upscale male cannabis user, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that are rushing to come to the table. But essentially, the whole idea of branding situations in cannabis is in the development. And that's something that I'm working on now. Like Branson, who's a Harlem legend, for having great weed, yeah. over 70 rappers, various Sugar records, Hill. shouted him out. Yeah, he was right around the corner yep. from us. He's has a juice bar now, which is called Branson's Got Juice. And um, we're now working to develop Branson into a brand. And um, companies are already reaching out, haven't seen him in the film you know, working out a licensing deal. And Branson is looking over situations I'm working with him, picking companies that could be right to do some things in some states where it's legal, but also anticipating New York, which is one of the biggest markets in the Northeast in general, being prepared and ready and set up for when cannabis happens in New York and to have a real live brand, a.k.a. Branson, with a legacy. Right. And so these are Already built in. Already built in. So when you say when cannabis happens in New York... um, Recreational, legal, yeah. has there been any state where you would say cannabis happened? Like, is California the one place where California is say- a great example because their social justice initiatives, particularly in San Francisco, they've already expunged about 13,000 can- nonviolent cannabis arrests. Um, and there's a lot of other, there's programs in place to help those most victimized, of course, primarily people of color to get in the business, to train them and ready them and put them through incubator type programs so that they can now sit at the table and um, participate in the business. Illinois just uh, legalized, if you will, and their plan, a part of that plan is to expunge over 700,000 nonviolent cannabis arrests. That um, legislation was heavily influenced by the New York Um, cannabis bill, which has not yet been passed, but those kind of measures are built into the New York bill to expunge, I'm sure, probably over a million nonviolent cannabis arrests um, to put money back in the communities most victimized by the um, unjust cannabis laws focusing on people of color. There's a lot of initiatives and things worked into that law. The problem is New York can only pass bills through the legislative process as opposed to referendum, a.k.a. just voting. Um, That's how California got legal. They voted. the people voted. People voted. People said, this is what we want. Overwhelmingly, people in New York State want it. It's just getting all the legislators lined up. Mm -hmm. Some legislatures are are in areas that don't have these problems. They don't have large communities of color that have been victimized. So they may not get why it's important to sign this bill so that we can get this right. But we we feel one of the things that I've learned and which is such a rewarding thing is people seeing the film Grass is Greener, which, which illustrates some of the horrendous laws that are in place, which people are not aware about. It's galvanized folks around the fact that we've got to do the right thing. So we are, we, we feel strongly that by next year in the legislative process, um, we should be able to get re- recreational cannabis available in New York State and begin to fix the wrongs that have been done over this harmless plant essentially harmless because there's no cannabis deaths as alcohol is killing people on a regular basis. So Left and right. Yeah. So once you get the full 411 and you kind of understand how we've been forced to believe these false truths about the plant. 
Well, there's that. I mean. So I just I, want to tell you about something else coming up. I, I know we don't want to do it. So this is another documentary. I didn't make this film. I'm just mm-hmm. in it. Okay. It's going to air on the BBC. I just got back from London okay. where we did advanced press on this. And she I'll is. send you a link so you could see it. I'm not sure yet when it's going to air in America, but they're mm-hmm. working that out now. Um, so they, this is global now. It's well, it's global in that it'll be global essentially, but it'll be all over Europe on the BBC too. I just mean this cannabis. Uh, oh, yes, the cannabis situation. Yeah, so that's interesting. Uh, let me just throw it in because of, of this same buddy of mine, Ron, that inspired the idea that became Grass is Greener, is now involved in a huge grow in Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe has altered their cannabis laws and he's in the process of supervising a massive grow in Zimbabwe producing medical cannabis for distribution in Europe. There's several countries in Europe now that have opened up medical cannabis and they're now talking about getting to the recreational. They have all followed essentially America's racist cannabis laws and I don't think they really realized it. Well, they, I mean... They often look to America for the. They do. And like the, and apartheid was based on Jim Crow laws. Ah, interesting. Good. And the way they kind of got all these countries to get in lockstep and criminalize the plant was the United Nations and the America's heavy sway in the mm. UN. Plus Harry Anslinger, before he died in the 60s, he had a lot to do with influencing the US and the United Nations to impose these kind of, you guys want to be in the UN, you've got to follow these right, kind of right, right. laws. Because when you think of countries like, why did you guys criminalize cannabis? As I now understand why it was initially criminalized here. However, that's unraveling as it will do okay. in other places. So my buddy now is involved in putting together a massive grow. He was just, he, he was, he had just flown in to London from Dubai. It's great to know that brothers from the hood, so to speak, <laughs> making these kind jet of moves. Setting. Jet setting on a real live Passports. level. And he's, um, they're going to have a, a 100,000 square foot greenhouse in Zimbabwe, wow. uh, largely solar powered. He's got the 411. He's building his green team, flying in master growers from, from Humboldt and, and whatever. Because in Europe, you can bank. See, the big thing that prevents this business from really exploding is because it's on the schedule, the schedule one, this federal kind of um, mandate that has put made cannabis illegal, the Banks can't deal with it because the banks are backed federally. So although there's big money being made, it's kind of restrictive and it's a heavy cash-based business because guys can't really bank their money in big national banks. So that creates problems. You know, huge problems where you have armored car businesses now specifically to move around hundreds of- Well, and it's still a cash business, which is always dangerous. Dangerous and problematic. They're figuring it out in these various places, but if they can put the money in banks, it would be a lot easier to do things. Well, I know here, like you have certain states where like you can sell, but you can't federally claim- weed on your taxes. Right. And that's all a part of it being on this on this schedule. So okay. you can't deal with the things the way normal businesses would and you can't move the weed like out of state. Right. Everything has to be contained in the individual states that it happens in. So that makes it- If you cross it, state lines, it becomes, I've been told that, you, you cross state, state lines in three to five. five. Look at you. <laughs> you, you, know what it is. you got that. Yeah. So there's a lot of unfortunate restrictive things, which my buddy was break just breaking down to me. These things don't happen in Europe. So what's about to happen in Europe is an accelerated and smart players from over here are, are, are looking. But the film I wanted to tell you about, it's a complete other subject. It's a documentary that I'm just hosting um, where I'm riding a horse through Florence, going from museum to basilica to major collection of looking at significant pieces of Renaissance art that black people are featured in. Oh, and this who is, pitched this to you? Well, this is something that I've known about as an art nerd. That's at the core of my creative thing. I used to- For the record, y'all, I remember going in Fab's crib and he just had like Basquiat's just casually leant up against <laughs> yeah, the wall. Well, well, Jean-Michel Basquiat was a good friend of mine. We we, we came up together yeah. trying to figure stuff out back in the 80s. Um, 
and um, we both spent a lot of time as kids going to museums. So this, this idea grew out of a Basquiat doc called Basquiat Rage to Riches, which aired on the BBC, which actually won a BAFTA. Oh, That's wow. the British Oscar yeah. uh, for best documentary. I'm featured in that. And my big scene is recreating this thing Jean-Michel and I would do. We would go to the Metropolitan Museum. We called it our museum club. We'd walk around, look at paintings, but talk about them in our own way, like about the black aspects oh, of wow, or, or how gangster Caravaggio yeah, exactly. really was because he carried a sword and that was a whole different thing than what you get from Hollywood movies. I'm talking about Pablo Picasso's work and how seeing black sculptures opened up cubism, which really made art modern yep. when he painted Damsel's Davignon. So I got into all that naughty art stuff and that was a very popular scene in the film. The film won an award. The, the filmmakers were trying to figure out something else, and they proposed a doc where I would go and look at the Renaissance. I said, That's, go to Italy to look at significant art from the Renaissance, but I said, what would be interesting to me is the fact that there's black people featured in a lot of these paintings, very little scholarship. And so right. I wanted to know who's the black guy in the center of this painting and why yeah. don't we know who he is? He looks like somebody that lives around the corner from me in Harlem. Mm -hmm. I want to know my man's story. story. And so we delved into that, scratched the surface. But what we also look at is one of the Medici's who were the original patrons, patrons. was black. Alessandro de Medici, his mother was black, his father was a Medici, and he ruled Florence for about five years in the 1500s. This is the first essentially black ruler of a major Western country other than Barack Obama. So uh, I ride a horse through Florence. The horse, the riding of the horse. I'm like, how did they even pitch that to you? I'm like, no, the so you going to be on a horse? No, he did pitch it. I, I had this fear. I had ridden a pony as a kid. I tried to get on a horse about 10 years ago. I was terrified. I was pissed at myself. When he brought it up, I told him, yeah, I could ride. <laughs> you got to have the trainer come with a really mild horse and give me some time early morning to work the kinks out. That really was the beginning. And the trainer walked me around for about an hour and then boom, it was like riding a bike. I said, Galloping I, I got this shit. Me and the horse bondage, you know what I'm saying? It was Come old time in. road way before that record came out. <laughs> right, you right, feel right. me? But really the way I'm moving around through Florence is on some the Django action. Okay. My whole energy, my whole swag on that horse was like people walk. And I'm talking moving through hundreds of tourists. Hey, yo, check my gram out. <laughs> um, Fab Five Freddy on the gram. You feel me? There's a little clip. But coming soon, I'm going to blast a lot more little clips and promos because on wait. the 27th of July... Um, in England and throughout Europe on BBC Two, it's called A Fresh Guide to Florence with Fab Five Freddy. Wow, the that will air and soon come in America. But I'm going to shoot you the private link. Hey, hey, hey. You know. Being famous is fun sometimes. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. And I'm really glad that uh, we all got to get some insight into your very illustrious uh, history of producing and directing and now get to actually see it in Grass is Greener, which is now available on Netflix. Yeah, now Netflix. available 15 yeah. million and counting. 15 million watching counting. Yes, and so enjoying. Yes, yes, and yes. So, you know, I'm going to have to have you back another time to just talk hip hop. I would love, oh yes, that's right. We need to talk hip hop. We need to talk hip hop, right? Because I knew I was like originally I was like we're gonna do hip hop. Then I was like, no, I want to respect that. Like he's promoting a specific project. Yeah. And he has a bunch of information and knowledge that he wants to share on that. So we've crossed that bridge. Yes, we did. But we next time, I would love to do that. We got to do a side effects of hip hop. I will definitely do that. I'm curious about what you listen to, what you like, and <laughs> I like to do this. I, I tell you something though, I'm really fascinated, and we can get into this more about this Afro beats. Mm -hmm. These young African brothers, yeah. primarily in Nigeria, that are making amazing music. That's a whole new genre to yes. me that I like. It's, it doesn't overwhelm me like a lot of rap does, and I can flow with it, and I like the energy. It feels like it's, it feels more fluid. Yeah. You know, whereas I feel like a lot of the hip hop right now has lost that fluidity. It just feels very like like it's bumping up against something right. and it doesn't know what it is. And I feel like it's bumping up against the loss of identity. But that's a whole other show. Yeah, no. And 
And I definitely think, yeah, we want to get into this because one of the things I also think, which is kind of good, but also kind of crazy, is that because the internet and all this stuff is so open, mm -hmm. these gatekeepers that would have said, you know, this sounds good, but I don't know what bin in the record company right. I'm going to fit you into because I hear the hip hop, I hear the reggae, I hear this, I hear the Latin. I don't know how we're going to sell that. That was a problematic Dy a dynamic for a lot of artists that really could have created whole new genres and forms of music. Some jerk at a record label just this, didn't get it. Because and executives are not creatives. They can't even fathom the concept of making something from nothing. Yeah. So they will try and just shut it down. I mean, I deal with that with agents. I mean, you just have agents who just, they can't, they can't conceptualize setting a precedent or doing something outside of a blueprint. And I know for me, like, my whole career has only managed to function on a create your own blueprint blueprint. Yes. That's me too. Exactly. That's it. So it's like, you know, if you're dealing with people who that scares them or it um, it freezes them up in terms of like their ability to apply their skill set, then yeah. it becomes like, it doesn't make sense. Look at the cat. Hi, kitty, kitty. <laughs> What's up though? I love cat. Hey. Hey now. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cute little cool cat. Yes, that is Amanda's Rory. kitty has walked into her luxurious hotel suite. <laughs> he can him, he can feel my vibe. He wanna It's a she, it's a she. She's she named can... she's named for Lieutenant Uhura of the Star Trek Enterprise. <laughs> the first black woman on Star Trek. She so. was so dope. Dope character. And this has been a dope. I loved that I got to hang out with you today. Did I? I know I really missed my my former Harlem neighbor. You no, know, we used to bump up. And we ended up having to talk for an hour on the corner. On the corners. So I'm, now we're talking Hill, for Harlem. an hour on the mic. You know, ain't shit change. Ain't shit change. Ain't shit change. Nothing so changed but the day. <laughs> No Nothing doubt. changed. You're from looking the day. good over there too. I like this thing you got on. You got this colorful, <laughs> like dashiki. a whole dashiki, which is a whole melange of various Afro fabrics. The wax batik thing is working for you. I love Thank it. Thank you, sir. Doing your thing right now. You know, now. Fab is fly fam. So whenever he's giving you props, no, on your piece, you're doing I'm feeling the right this, thing. this whole energy right now is working for you. Thank you. Thank yes, you. Yes. Please watch Grass is Greener on Netflix now and make Thank sure you. to also just take a look at. Out for do your research, do your background research on the indubitable, the incomparable Mr. Mr. Fab, Fab Five Freddy. Yeah, I'm out there, baby, and the best is yet to come, y'all. Thanks for listening in. I love you all. Mwah. A podcast network. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.